Preachers get big ideas sometimes. I had a, a, in mind when we did that uh, change drive this morning, I thought, oh, I ought to encourage him. I ought to do something like, if you, what, whatever we bring up today, then I will do a match. Your preacher will do a match. Whatever will happen. And I am so glad I didn't make that offer this morning. <laughs> I would not be eating Chick-fil-A for a long time. There is... There is a lot of coinage in that bucket. So thank you to those of you who uh, who participated in that. And thank you so much to the children who are not here, but you can tell them thank you later uh, for, for being a part of that. Um, I want to point out uh, Gloria Emery. Gloria Emery is, uh, ask her to stand, she is the coordinator for all things Simple House. Simple House is a ministry that basically works with the poor and the homeless, helping them, giving them basic needs. So if you have any interest in that, uh, working with that, and you didn't get the chance to sign up, see Glora, and uh, she can get you more information about that. So much good happening through the Light of Life campaign this year, and I'm really encouraged by all the good that I hear. And again, that's not to brag on us. That's just letting God shine through us. That's what this is all about. We are merely the conduits. There's a sort of a running joke in at least between my wife and I, uh, with the suit that I'm wearing this morning. Uh, the suit that I'm wearing this morning, whenever I put it on, Christy's like, you going to a funeral? And, sometimes, and my typical answer is, maybe I am. The, uh, this is my funeral preaching suit. Uh, it's the one that I keep ready at a moment's notice, and when it's time to, to do that part of my job, This is typically the suit I will wear. As I was thinking about this suit, it occurs to me that I've been to lots of funerals. The very first funeral I remember going to was for my great-grandpa Alan. I was only about three years old, so I barely remember it. I remember asking my dad as we pulled into the parking lot of the funeral home, Dad, What is this place? And dad said, as parents have to try to figure out these things, he said, I thought was very good. He said, this is where we come to say goodbye. And so my brother and I went in and we went up and and saw their great grandpa, Alan. And uh, with all the innocence of children, uh, looked over into the coffin and sort of waved and said goodbye. We didn't understand, nor could we have, what it means to go to a funeral. But the older you get, the more you go to. And uh, even the ones that you feel good about where they're going, it's still hard. Because a funeral is where you come to say goodbye. I heard one preacher say, we didn't come to say goodbye. We came simply to say, I'll see you later. And I thought that was pretty good. I've been to some funerals that are very hard. People that died far too young. I've been to some funerals for uh, grandmothers, grandfathers, great aunts, great uncles. And uh, I'll deeply miss them. And I feel confident that I will see them again. But there is a sense of loss. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start a new series called Three Days. And the whole purpose of this is to focus on that one weekend that gave us all a new beginning. 
through Christ, through what he did, through what he came to do. If you think about it, every single religion outside of Christianity, it, it, it's, was founded by someone who had a, a private encounter with God, a, a private dream, an angelic encounter. And that one person then spread the message. Christianity is actually very different in that it wasn't a, a private encounter. It was a very public encounter with this man who claimed to be the son of God. And, of course, we believe that he that he is. But nowhere is that more powerfully shown than what happened one Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so in this series, we're going to talk about that focus on those Days, And I want to encourage you to invite a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. It's a very natural time to do that um, because I believe that what happened on those three days changed the world and changes eternity potentially for you and I if we'll let it. Here's what Luke said about day number one. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. This is a long section of scripture, but I want to read it because... In my mind, as Luke, the good doctor, writes out these words, and I know they didn't wear suits back then, but he would have been putting on his funeral attire. He would have been preparing for the days of mourning. He would have been preparing to end this book in a very sad way if we had just stopped right here. Verse 26 As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put on the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren wombs, blessed are the wombs that never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, fall on us. And they will say to the hills, cover us. For if these if men do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, 
has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from a distance from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. That Friday was a cruel, harsh, unrelenting day. Jesus would say in another gospel, this is your hour when darkness reigns. It was a cruel place. It was a sad place. It was a place where all his friends and all his disciples lost their hope. As they said goodbye to the one they believed who was sent to become king. And instead of wearing a crown and a robe, he only wore a crown of thorns as soldiers gambled for the last bit of property he had in this world. What we need to understand in this very cruel, unimaginable moment, a place of great suffering... And by the way, it wasn't just the physical suffering. I mean, it was terrible. But you could say that the the thieves on either side of Jesus had probably suffered about as equally. The deeper part of the sadness and the darkness of that Friday was the separation. The laying upon of all sin from all time. Since Since Eve took hold of that fruit in the garden, throughout all of human history... Up even until now, to the sins of the future that have not been committed yet, have been poured out on the Son of God. And when His only Father forsook the Son. You need to know this morning that the cross, as cruel, as terrible a place as it was, it was always the plan. You say, well, yeah, obviously it was the plan. You see, there are some people that don't believe that the cross was the plan. That they believe that Jesus was sent to become a king. And that uh, he would reign from Jerusalem. And his kingdom would be perfect and just. And he would rule with authority. His own disciples believe that. But when he was offered that, when he was told that by the one he loved, Peter, Jesus simply looked at him and said, away from me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God. You see, God knew that sin had to be paid for, and he knew exactly how it would be paid for and how the debt would be paid. No, it wasn't the fact that the cross was a plan B. The cross was always the plan. It was human beings who wanted to make Jesus king. It was the work of the enemy that wanted to make Jesus a literal king. 
But it was God, the Father, who knew that the Son had to die. That He had to lay down His life for us. Turn to Psalm chapter 22. Several hundred years before the event that happened was would actually take place, David wrote these words. And you may recognize them from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day and you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl their insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You see, several hundred years before the cross, God already had in mind the cross. In fact, I could make the case going all the way back to Genesis. God had in mind the cross because he knew sin left a debt. And it was a debt that we couldn't pay. Turn to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah 53 Starting in verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was like a a lamb led to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will. Yet it was the Lord's will. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and proclaim to his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Psalm 22, several hundred years before Jesus. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus. Oh, make no mistake about it. The cross was always the plan. There was always a price that had to be paid. When David said, against you and you alone have I sinned, 
he was altogether right. That there was no sin in God's eyes that was okay, that was winkable, that was cute, that was funny, that was ha-ha. Or every single sin, great or small, was iniquity laid upon the Son. And it was all a part of the plan. The purpose of Jesus' death was, secondly, for a purpose. You see, when, when Rome put people on a cross, it was to send a message It was a very public way of saying, if you want to defy Caesar, if you want to defy Rome, this is the end of all who defy Rome. But more than that message, God was sending us a message to the cross. He was sending us a reminder of three different things. And maybe you could take more, but since I'm preaching the sermon, how about you let me run with these three? The first is... At the cross, God's message was of his great love for us. This is the verse that Larry read in part this morning. For while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. You see, it, it, it's something to occasionally you'll read a story about someone who heroically pushes someone out of the way of a car or a bus or a train. And, and they, they sacrifice their own life on behalf of someone they don't know. And we say, that's heroic. That's amazing. That's, that's inspiring kind of love. But God's love is even greater than that because it wasn't that he didn't know us. It was he knew us all too well. And then he knew that we were sinners, that we were powerless, that we were weak, that we were without hope. And deep down inside, you and I know that too. You say, we can't, we can't, we can't undo our sin by ourselves. And so he showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, before we were even alive, before we even thought about the sins that we were going to commit, Jesus was sent to pay for those. The second thing that he that we are shown the message that we're given is that we are forgiven. Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, verse 13. Paul writes there to the church. He says. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities by making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, you'll hear some people say, well, you know, I just need to live a good life. I just need to try harder. I just need to do better. Some people say, well, I just need to live, just live according to the old Ten Commandments. You'll do pretty good if you live according to the Ten Commandments. And there's a problem with that. Because if you want to be justified by the law, then you have to keep the whole law. And you miss it at just one point, that very same law, which the rules and the regulations, which you thought was your friend, which you held so closely, now stands opposed to you. It says, sinner, worthy of death, 
pay the price. And the one who wrote that very law is God himself. Now, if God doesn't pay the price for your sin, then you can't be forgiven. God becomes unjust. But no, God is not unjust. He paid the price for your sin and mine. And even when we thought we could try to keep the rules, when we thought we could do good enough by ourselves, when we thought it was up to us, God sent a cross and he nailed the law to the cross. He didn't abolish the law, you see. He fulfilled every point of it, every jot, every tittle, every perfect part of the perfect law was only fillable by a perfect Savior on a perfect cross. And we needed him because we could not do it ourselves. So at the cross, we, we receive God's message of love. We receive God's message of forgiveness. And we also see, receive God's message of absolute reconciliation. Turn to First Peter chapter 3. Peter was a guy who knew a few things about reconciliation. Uh, admittedly, that is not a word we use a lot anymore. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Um, and not too many years ago, we used to do this little thing called reconciling our bank statements. Some of you may still do it. Most of you who have bank apps and stuff don't bother with it anymore. But some people still reconcile their bank statement. What's that doing? You have your checkbook and you say, this is how much money I have. And cans of bank send you a piece of paper and say, this is how, money, how much money we say you have. And you have to bring those two into reconciliation. And in the same way, you might say, well... This is how righteous I am. And in God's way, he says, this is how righteous you aren't. And in the cross, we bring them together and we reconcile the two. Doing what you could never have done. Oh, don't you know that the cross was a message? It was a message of love. It was a message of forgiveness. And it was a message of our ultimate reconciliation. But let me tell you this morning that the cross was a heavy, heavy cross. Have you ever thought about how heavy the cross was. Every crime against humanity, every genocide, every unspeakable act of oppression and tyranny, every act of terrorism, every starving nation ignored, every drop of martyred blood, Every orphan and widow abandoned. Every stranger in need passed by. Every deviant and perverse lifestyle. Every marriage torn asunder. Every word uttered in hate. Every injustice. Every theft. Every grudge. Every bitterness. Every lust. Every fear. Every lie, every doubt, every one. Oh, the weight of the cross. Oh, the strength of the one who bears it. 
cross was the heaviest instrument of death ever used. Oh, you say it was just two beams. Some have surmised it may have weighed like a couple of railroad ties, but I guarantee you it was much heavier than that. As Jesus carried the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin and the sin of the whole world, he carried God's message, which was poured out through him on the cross. Oh, the weight of the cross, may we not forget it. And may we remember how valuable we are because such a great price had been paid that we might know the Father. Our last point is simply Jesus' death was not permanent. The beautiful thing about what happened at the cross is that once and for all, we didn't just see the death of a man. We saw for the first time the death of death. That no longer did a funeral become a a place to say goodbye, but the opportunity to say, I'll see you again. But the only way that we can say that is through Christ and in Christ and because of what he did. Jesus' death was not the end of the story. Day one was not the death of Jesus. But because he died, we can live. And because we live we should let his love pour through us. Let's finish by reading 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. This is how we know that we, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You see, God's love was shown not by his words, not just by his law, but by his actions of sending his own son to a cruel, heavy cross. And if we have received the gift of grace that comes only through Christ Jesus, if we've been buried with him in the waters of baptism, to receive his forgiveness, which came only by the cross, then we can begin living. You see, it's not just remaining at the cross. It's about moving forward in love. The opportunity every day to show the love that Christ showed us on the cross can be shown to your brother. I pray that God will give you those opportunities this week. But even more than that, I pray that God will give you the courage to seek those opportunities and live them out. Our story continues next week with the day after death, the day of silence. This morning, if you are not in Christ, if you have not come to the cross, if you have not let Jesus pay the price for your sins by confessing his name and repenting of your sin and being buried with him in baptism, we'd like to help you do that. Or if you have, but you've forgotten the meaning and the message of the cross, And you need some encouragement. You need our prayers. If there's any way we can help you, I want to call you forward that we might show you the love of our Savior. We believe the cross is not a sad day, but the greatest day in all of the world. It gives us reason that we can have hope even beyond death. And you can too. If you're ready to know that hope, come now as together we stand and sing.